0: And you are, I don't know who you are, but you're listening to Blow Grana Don't be like them kids in the Blair Witch Project and go away. Right.
1: Hello, everyone. Good evening and good afternoon, wherever you're watching. Welcome to yet another episode of the Driven Shot Podcast. We're joined here to Omar Hawash, Joff Pedraza, and a special guest, Phil Shane. Phil, how are you doing? Thank you for, uh, for taking Not the Not bad. On. A little
2: flashback there. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess that just gets the blood pumping.
1: Yeah, no, that's uh, that's always the the, the effects. I would say that that raised uh, voice tends to have on a lot of people, and uh, it's awesome to have you here as well. Um, so yeah, today we've got a few things that we're going to talk about in terms of, of Barcelona, in terms of the win from yesterday. Uh, but 1st off, I'll just kind of get into it, Joav. How, how have things been going for you?
0: Um, really good. Thanks. Uh... Really excited after yesterday's um, win for Barcelona and the loss of Atlético de Madrid. So La Liga seems a little bit closer for Barcelona, still no margin of error, but um, other than that, really good Omar, thanks. That's awesome, that's awesome. And Phil, everything uh, everything good on your end?
2: Um, pray for my mechanic. No, other I, you know, I know. <laughs> uh, like I was saying, I got a little bit late because I had to drop my car off, but uh, uh, that's okay. also dad of two teenagers, so that also could probably use a little bit of help.
0: Yep. <laughs> in
1: general, I'm doing great. Better than I deserve.
0: That's good to hear. That's
1: good to hear. Uh, you deserve all the best, Phil. Um, so, yeah, a few things we're going to just dabble into and talk about in uh, in today, of course. To start it off with, Barcelona uh, yesterday won against Villarreal at the Ceramica uh, in a very uh, – well, not a scrappy game, but it was a game where a lot of physicality was involved, especially from Villarreal and especially in the second half. Um, the goals were by Samuel Chukwueze giving Villarreal the opener, and then Antoine Griezmann uh, equalizing soon after. Before then, uh, snatching up a mistake of uh, Juan Foyth, latching onto it and dispatching it into the bottom right corner to give Barcelona the win. Uh, of course, with that Manu Trigueros red card, also uh, a talking point. But overall, what do you what do you make of Barcelona's performance yesterday, Phil?
2: Again, I think you have to take it in comparison. At this point of the season where you have a handful of games remaining um and, and as you pointed out atleti was unable to close the deal against athletic uh, mm-hmm. real madrid similar story in their match um sevilla did although it was kind of interesting and also a little closer i think than many might have imagined i think a lot of people overlooking granada which is something i'm sure that ronald coleman is drilling into barcelona today as they play mm-hmm. that open makeup game on thursday but Uh, for Barcelona, I don't want to say peaking because I still don't see that. I don't really see any of these teams peaking at the moment, but I'd say they're headed in the right direction at the right time of the season. Uh, there were a few bumpy spots a few weeks back where it looked like Coleman's switch to that three back system, especially with the return of Piquet, who plays a different role than De Jong does in that spot. Uh, that maybe the magic had worn off, teams had figured it out, or uh, it just wasn't working as effectively as before. But I'd say yesterday against Villarreal, it it did. And the real key, though, is what you alluded to with Antoine Griezmann, who has shown flashes over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years. Uh, But I'd say the first half of the season, even though he wasn't playing or the goals weren't going in, Unlike last year, um, he didn't retreat. He just kind of kept playing. He had a good level head. I uh, don't know if he's if Barcelona has a sports psychologist to try and keep him focused or something like that, but I wouldn't be surprised because mm-hmm. now all of a sudden we're seeing a player who's playing with confidence, with intelligence, uh, the, the anticipation he had on that game-winning goal. We've seen it before. It, ha- it happens a lot. But th- his ability to sneak behind a veteran like Albiol uh, and – basically be in perfect position for Foyt's attempt to get to get it to Asenho. And all three of those players, other than that one moment, were absolutely brilliant, but Griezmann's anticipation changed the game. And while it might not have been as pretty as the first goal, uh, it was – we've seen plenty of pretty goals from Griezmann over the years. We haven't seen him click in this Barcelona yeah. system, and now we're starting to, and especially after Usman Dembele uh, kind of went off the boil a little bit with the injury, uh, and maybe that was something also that other teams figured out. They just had to play a little deeper to counter for his speed, uh, right. that Griezmann's really stepping up. And we're starting to see signs of what we saw at Atleti and perhaps even more back at his days at La Real. This is just a guy who, who's loving life right now, and it's paying off for Barca.
1: You no, know, for sure. I mean, I think he's been—he's really—it it does feel like he's finding that form now that Barcelona fans have been screaming out for. And I don't think he's hit the the absolute top level of his abilities with Barça just yet. But I think he definitely is headed in the right direction. And one thing I also found interesting with that uh, attack, as I was talking about it yesterday, um, usually if if Griezmann was if if we you know rewind like four or five months back, where he wasn't in this form and didn't have this sort of confidence even if he did manage to anticipate that pass and intercept, he would probably have taken a touch or two, then went for a shot, or first-time shot would go right into yeah. the hands of the keeper, right? So that's something as well that I think, I mean, obviously he has been working on his finishing, but it is really good to see him having this sort of confidence mm-hmm. now, and it feels like he has that extra edge, that X factor that Griezmann usually would bring, and it's what this is what he was expected to bring when he joined from Atleti. Um, and I think for Barca, it's great news that he's showing that right now.
2: No, well, we saw that as well for Vireal with with Samu Chiquese on yeah. his goal, uh, where I don't want to say he's Griezmann-like, but that would be <laughs> a very similar to description of what we've seen over the last, I'd say up until the last two or three weeks because he's red yeah. hot now. But yeah, uh, yeah. a guy that has all of the tools, has the anticipation, the creativity, everything but a reliable, consistent final touch. Um, and what he did to beat that back line and Marc-Andre Ter Stegen might be one of the best goals of the season in La Liga. Yeah. And it's also, as we saw from Real Madrid's game where they were held and from Atleti's game where it looked like at least they were able to preserve a point, um, that Barcelona is able to do what it takes to get the three points at this stage. It's still not done. A lot of people are saying Barca's in the driver's seat, but in all honesty, it could it, Unless there are more stumbles that I don't see happening, mm-hmm. it all is going to come down to that Barcelona Atletico game, and if Atletico wins that one, they're champions. If they if they match up at that point, um, obviously Real Madrid kind of hoping for a draw to bring both of them back to him a little bit, but their draw on uh, on Saturday uh-huh. really even hurts in that regard. Um, yeah, Sevilla is going to be really interesting to see over the final five games. You normally see it down at the bottom of the table, someone like, uh, like Celta Vigo who mm-hmm. get that magic 41. I mean, uh, it's still possible for some of these teams down in the relegation zone to even get to Europa. That's how tight things are right now with five games left. But normally you kind of figure 41 points, you're safe. And And we've seen this year after year. Team hits 41 points and they don't win another game the rest of the way because they're probably still suffering from a hangover. Um, from a Sevilla perspective, uh, <laughs> they've clinched a top-four spot. That was their goal, especially, I think, once the season progressed and, and you saw the challenges from a Ladeal, saw the challenges from a Villarreal, um, and now those have been held off and they've clinched a top-four. Even though they're only three points back, uh, they're the dark horse. It'll be really interesting to find out, and they do have that head-to-head with Real Madrid, so maybe uh, they could finish at least in third, but it doesn't really mean that much. Uh, with coefficients and everything like that. Sevilla knows where they're going to be in the in the Champions League uh, pots. Uh, they know they're going to be involved, which is great. Um, mm. So do they still or can they still find that extra gear to make a push? Because if they can get the win against Real Madrid and Barça Letty draw or something like that, then then maybe there's even the chance for them to sneak in. And I can't recall a race that's been this tight maybe in the last 20 years, between the top between the top four teams. So it's going to be fun. And the yeah. interesting point also is the fact that those two games, whoever wrote the schedule is a genius. Um, you have <laughs> Barcelona at Leti and Sevilla Real Madrid, same match day. So uh, we're going to learn a lot in a week or two.
1: Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, Joao, what do you make of, of Barca's chances? Because, of course, Villarreal... I, I think I think at least for people that don't watch La Liga regularly, they would say, "Oh, Villarreal are a small side. Don't worry about them. Barca are going to cruise ahead." And as we saw yesterday, and as we see time and time again, Villarreal are a team that know how to trouble Barca because their style, in some ways, is similar. They they don't mind having possession. Whereas with some of the other teams, like with Getafe, they like the more physical aspect of the game, and they'll just they'll play based on that, and then maybe just absorb the pressure, go on a quick counter and score that way but for Villarreal the interesting thing is they have this versatility in the style they play and they manage to trouble Barca and of course next game for Barca is against Granada who are very much going toe-to-toe with Villarreal so Joaf, what are your expectations for for that game and for Barca uh, for the rest of the season?
0: Um, I think Barcelona as Phil said they have found this form that allowed them to put in the position to actually go and win La Liga something that we well, a lot of people didn't really think it would be possible it's just a few weeks or a few months ago. So I think Royal Commons team has really clicked and has really begun to understand themselves on a much higher level. level. And something I want to point out, uh, that uh, first goal by uh, Griezmann, the long pass by Minguesa, it reminded me some, somewhat to the to the first goal of Luis Suárez, I think, against Real Madrid, in which Dani Alves uh, sent him a really, really long ball in the Clásico in the Camp Nou. Luis Suarez just controlled it, and he tucked it in against Casillas, And so it is something that I really like to see back to uh, to remind me something of that. And also that Griezmann is actually playing with a lot of confidence to actually try a chip. Because that's something that a player will only do when they have the highest of confidence and they know that they can do it, because otherwise he would just try something else. But I think Barcelona are understanding themselves a lot better. I like players like Jordi Alba that are really just like... Uh, flaring up again on that left wing something that they re- do really well and also uh busquets that have, has also been a player that has been really uh prolific with this uh three five two uh, system so i do really like barcelona's chances and also like the fact that they look like a team they don't just look like individuals playing together uh playing individually or for themselves but actually playing like a team
1: yeah no for sure i think um and if you mentioned alba and busquets who so i think if- it's really, I think it's been beautiful to watch Alba's resurgence because he had a while, especially during that Anfield Roma period where he wasn't really doing that great. And people, a lot of people were, were seeing him as a big question mark. Would he stay at Barca? Would Barcelona need to buy a, an out-and-out replacement for Jordi Alba? But I think since then, and I think a lot of this credit should go to Ronald Koeman because since the introduction of Kuman and his technical staff, we've seen that they have this really close relationship at the celebrations and the post-matches. They, you can see them spending a lot of time together even in the in the, fo- in the photos when they're traveling. So I think that really plays a part that Alba feels that he has this confidence from for Alcum and directly to Alba, not just as in I trust the team, but as in I trust you as a player and I trust you as a left back. I think that does a lot for a player. And the team right now is in this, as you said, they have this sort of, of high right now where it finally feels like something is clicking in that team. They're getting the right passes through. They're, they're getting the right accuracy on it. They're playing – a style that seems somewhat defined, and the only reason I say somewhat is because they're playing with different styles. Sometimes they'll play a 3-5-2, they'll go to a 3-4-3. Um, we've even seen hints of a four-three-three at points, where Dest has had to come off for, let's say, to rest him, and then Mingheta fills in as the right back, and kind of you you, sh- you shift out the defense a bit. So the fact that we see this much going on in Barcelona's style of play right now, I think... Shows that Ronald Koeman is, is is he it seems like he's found a formula that works. PK, a lot of people were writing him off because of his age, saying ah he's too old now. But to, fact of the matter is he's been very very consistent in the past few games that he's played. At least in my eyes, I think he's been one of the main reasons that Barcelona's defense has been so airtight. Because while he might not go out and and, and commit to the challenge, which is something a lot of people criticize him for, saying he commits too much or he contains too much. It seems like he's found that balance because he has players like Miguel Araujo and Lundley around him, not to mention Destin Alba, who are good defenders in their own right. And I think making, having that defense click, because at that point you have a really solid midfield with Busquets, who's been working really well. De Jong seems like he's finding his role now, um, getting that freedom, it's been cut loose. You're able to drive forward if you want and push up the field, and we've seen it pay off time and time again, and he almost got that goal yesterday. Um, when it then hit off the post for the rebound. But it, it feels like it's clicking. And I think now with Usman Dembele slowly coming back, Ansufati hopefully coming back, Felipe Coutinho obviously still uh getting treatment, still receiving treatment, but if he does come back within a reasonable a reasonable time frame and can make it into Kuman's side, you have all these players with Pedri, Alex Collado potentially, Elias Moriba, and a lot of these players, and a lot of I mean this will be a positive headache for Ronald Kuman, if anything, the way I see it because you'll have so many players to pick and choose from. And if you have the style in the baseline set, I mean, it's voting really well.
2: Now there's, there's a whole bunch of things to unwrap there. Uh, I guess mm. first one thing that jumped up was talking about PK and there was a moment there at the end um, because I, from a formation perspective, there's even been times where it's almost like a two, three, five or a two, two, six
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: um, <laughs> when De Jong's playing in the middle. And Some people accuse me of being a Barca fan. Some people accuse me of being a Real Madrid fan. Normally, it's when I'm doing the other games. Um, Mm. But for me, I just love football. I love the beautiful game. Mm. And I don't know if you guys have had the chance to read uh, Jonathan Wilson's book, Inverting the Pyramid, but uh, a little bit of a formation geek. And I know, like Ray says, once the whistle blows, it doesn't matter. (sighs) But it does put a mindset into what people's roles are and what's expected of them during the 90 minutes. Things can change as the game develops, but you still kind of have that that mindset, mm-hmm. and with De Jong, it kind of gives you like a, a drain plug. He'll come back and fill that gap in the middle when needed, but when you want the water to flow, he'll just fly up, and sometimes he'll be in the other box uh, as the as the leading center forward. So I see a bit of Komen in him, a bit of Beckenbauer mm-hmm. in him, um, and in my mind, you could argue, we're watching a transition, forgive the blasphemy, of this being a Lionel Messi team to a a, uh, Frankie de Jong team. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, Messi kind of slaloming in even more over the last month into that Xavi role, but the goals are still coming. He's up to 25. He didn't get any yesterday. He was a little off yesterday, but uh, the team was able to pick up without him. But getting back to the BK moment, there was a moment in the second half where, uh, they were trying to stretch the defense, especially with long getting pushed up a little bit. Um, and there was a long ball down the flank. I think it was to Chukwese, and we know how fast yeah. it can be. And Piquet got over in perfect time and sent it out for a throw with a, a nice challenge. That's something I think a couple of weeks ago we might not have seen. So there are moments, again, I, I think that in the system, putting De Boer in the middle gives you a lot more versatility.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: – against the better teams where you do have to be a little bit more solid. If you can get a good game out of PK in the center of the three, um, again, that's even a point where I think you look at Ronald Araujo and he's fit in quite well in that spot, Mm -hmm. maybe a little learning to do, but to get that out of PK, a player that has his leadership, uh, and his mentality is even better. So in regards to some of the other situations you were kind of talking about, um, De Boer's kind of a mad scientist this year. And I never would have expected that from a player that kind of came out of the Dutch system where you're locked into Uh, mm-hmm. You have to be able to play every role, but once you get to the top flight, this is your role. And uh, we saw at Valencia, and maybe it says more about those Valencia players where not saying they're prima donnas, but there was a lot of talent on that team when he was there, but they weren't as malleable moldable as mm. surprisingly this Barcelona team has been. I mean, you think back to Luis Enrique, you think back to, to maybe not as much before with, with the Ant, but with uh, when Kike Setien came in and you'd hear word coming out of the dressing room. Now mm. maybe in regards to the whole relationship that he has with Ricky Pooch, maybe in some ways well, there's there's an axiom in the business world that if you come in and take over a foundering ship, the first thing you do is fire someone because then you get everyone else's attention.
0: <laughs> uh, it's not
2: that he fired Ricky Butch, but he kind of made it obvious. And the the criticism was that some of the word words that were going on in the dressing were making it out into Mundo and and the sports dailies, and he didn't like it. And he thought it was Ricky that was that was doing it. And he made it very obvious that it, that he was not happy and things would change if that continued. Mm. We don't hear those discussions anymore. And for any team, no matter how good you're doing, there's going to be a little, once the door closes, a little finger point, a little discussion, some arguments, maybe even pushing and shoving in the shower. You never know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then once the door opens, everything's great again, because you've worked it out. That's what happens as a family. That's what happens as a team. And I, I sense that unlike what happened at Valencia, unlike what's happened everywhere else he has managed, except in Holland, mm. uh, that this Barcelona team respects him and is willing to work with him at this point. Now, the question is to whether Juan Laporte is going to do that as well with Xavi lurking on the sideline, um, you almost kind of have a feeling. He, need, he won the cup, great. Doesn't really mm. matter, but it, it could be that little asterisk at the end if he doesn't win La Liga, that opens the door for a change. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'd almost be more interested in what you guys think with uh, more, your hearts on the line as well as your brains. <laughs> if they finish second, mm-hmm. has he done enough to stick around next year under Laporta? And is this team, is Xavi ready for this team? Because I think what we've seen this year under Ronald Coleman is the start of a transition. And in the process... Giving him full credit, um, I would love to see Ricky Pooch more often. I would love to see Conrad De La Fuente get a chance just because there aren't a ton of speed merchants on this team. There's really only yeah. one. Um, and I think De La Fuente would do well uh, or at least could probably have been bled into this team with an eye towards next year. I think he actually had another goal yesterday for Barca B. He did. He did. Uh, so, it, was a, it was a great goal as well. So uh, just Miami kid. So. Um, yeah. But what he has done with Pedri, maybe a little overdone. With De Jong, um, Mm -hmm. with uh, Elish now towards the end. But what he's done by the insertion of these specific players, Dest would be another one, and he's spotted him and and done quite well. The return of Sergio Roberto gives him a little bit more, uh, many more options. But he's been able to, as you alluded put players like Jordi Alba and Sergio Busquets into position to do what they do best and what they did well for a decade. Um mm-hmm. not that there's people covering for for Busquets but just the formation, the players around him, the trust that he has with them that if he's under pressure and he makes a one touch pass, they're going to get it and know what to do with it. Alba same story especially with the three back that he has a player that is maybe not fast but quick like Longley yeah. behind him allows uh, Jordy, the comfort to push up a little bit more. Where I think under Setien, uh, and even early on in Komen, where they were pushing dest up on the right, boost that. Uh, Alba was kind of locked back a little bit, maybe only half speed pushing up on the mm-hmm. left side. But now, with this change in formation, change in personnel, uh, the developing chemistry, it's squeezing out a few more years from Alba and Busquets and putting a smile on Messi's face. So as I said before, even if they don't win, it's almost back to the drawing board if Xavi or some other manager comes in and maybe the end result will be brilliant. Xavi will bring back the Pep Guardiola days and tiki-taka with a plan B and a plan C, you never know. Um, But I think what we're starting to see from this Coleman led team isn't Pep, and it might not be as good, but considering what they have at their, at their disposal, it is a huge breath of fresh air from what we've seen over the last five or six years.
1: No, I I mean, as you were saying, and I think you made a lot of good points with that. I think Ronald Koeman has done, in my eyes, a really, really good job. And yes, of course, would I, would I have liked to see to Puj a bit more? Sure. And I think, I mean, a lot of people want to see players like Ricky Puj shine, but the fact of the matter is, Koeman makes the decisions and he, he's liked Pedri a lot. And, you know, when he played, what Pedri plays, you can see why. I mean, for his age, he's, he's incredibly mature. He plays for the badge. He's all over the pitch every single game. And, and yeah, people would make the call and said, hey, may, you know, maybe you should rest him a bit. You've been playing in pretty much 90 minutes for every single game. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I mean, there really isn't much that I would change about what Kuman has done because I think he's done a brilliant job. He's virtually transformed this team. From what we saw pre-Kuman to now, and I think that even if Barca, did, even let's say Barca get a bit unlucky or drop a point here or there, and wound up getting second spot in the La Liga table, let's say Atleti win, um, I still don't think letting go of Kuman would be the right decision to make because I think, at least the way I see it, if you can't, you know, you, if you keep making changes, you're never really gonna have that period of just okay, this is what we have, this is what we're gonna work with. Because, you know, let's say Xavi comes in. If he's seen, well, he's obviously seen that, you know, Valverde was there for a while, then Setien came in, didn't even get a transfer window to, to do what he wanted to do, and came in amid a pandemic and didn't even get time to get, to get Martin Brathwaite time to adapt to the team. Because obviously he had, I think, El Clasico and then one game, and then they had that break. So a lot of things happened in that period of time, and then when you'd think, all right, Setien might still have a chance because he hasn't even had a transfer window, he hasn't had a say yet, he gets, you know, he gets he gets booted, and then kuman comes in, and kuman virtually transforms this side, and then if he comes out as well, if he's if he's kicked as well, or let's say he resigns or whatever, that doesn't bode too well for Xavi, I think, in terms of the confidence that he might feel he has with his team. Because you want you want to know that as a manager going into a team, especially because Xavi has done quite well with El Sad. He's won trophies, he's you know, you can you can tell like by looking at what, what what he's been doing, you can tell that this team likes him and respects him and he has that sort of bond with them. And I feel like maybe the move to Europe, if Kuman continues to do well, you can wait a bit with that move to Europe and give Xavi maybe a year more under his belt. And then maybe at that point bring Xavi in, when Kuman feels like, all right, I've done what I could do, and maybe it's time for a change. Because I think, I, I mean, the way I see it, when Kuman came in, people didn't really have any expectations. They were just like, oh, it's going to be another, you know, City end story or another Valverde story towards the end where it's not really going to be what we want. It's going to be the opposite. It's going to be someone that doesn't know how to lead this team. All that, you know, all that talk. But it's been the exact opposite of that. Kuman has found a way to get this team to like him. He's found a way to make them respect his word by, as you said, leaving out players like Ricky Puch to say, no, listen, I'm the one that leads here, and it's my decision that goes. And it's worked for him. And sure, does that maybe leave Ricky Puch with a bit of a bitter taste in his mouth? Sure. But I don't think Ricky Puch's time in Barca is over yet at all. But, you know, with that said, I mean, I, I I think it's too early for Xavi, not because I don't think Xavi is ready, but because I think Kuman has done such a brilliant job so far, it wouldn't be. I feel like it would be a bit unfair to just ship him off and say, all right, Xavi's taking in because you couldn't finish second in a season that's been so airtight in both ends of the, of the La Liga table. I mean, even this, this, you know, we're this close to the end of the season and we still don't know which teams are going to get relegated because so many of them are so close. And even A-bar
2: wins today, and they're back in the mix. Um, exactly. And I'm a huge Kike Setien fan, and I was drooling over possibilities possibilities uh, with him stepping into Barca. But as you said, just the whole situation, maybe even more the front office. And
1: hmm.
2: when you think about it, I mean, Coleman showed some flashes early on, maybe a sign of what could happen. There were some disgruntled moments here or there, and he did – I don't want to say it was Mourinho like throwing people under the bus, but he he was quite vocal uh, that there might be an issue here or there without mentioning names, except for Ricky that one time, um, that it really wasn't until it became quite obvious there was going to be a presidential change. And whichever of the two leading candidates it was, I think it would be a breath of fresh air. I kind of like the Laporta one, just for the simple fact that It brought back stability and it brought back, for lack of a better word, the memories of when Barca was Mm -hmm. at its best, where the other could have been a brand new day, but it was a little bit scarier, maybe a little bit more uh, uh, of a situation where there's some insecurity. With Laporta that comes in, you do have that security. This is a guy that's done it before Mm -hmm. and knows how to do it again. And even if there is a billion-dollar deficit, he's the type of guy that has the connections that will find a way – to fix it or at least push it down the road a bit so uh, it doesn't matter as much. Um, mm-hmm. And also, we've seen signs of, and people are reading into every single uh, facial expression from Lionel Messi. As they do. Uh, <laughs> how many fingers did he use on the handshake? Uh, but, I mean, it, it does. The winds are doing it, the joy is doing it, but I think it's also from Messi's perspective. I haven't heard anyone's. Get a report of who he actually voted for. Again, I think it was one of two people. Um, i so as well. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think even if it wasn't voting for Laporta, he's quite content having him there. There was a decades worth of a relationship uh, before, and now a comfortable pair of shoes. Um, and uh, I think that this that was something again that Coleman was able to take advantage of because that's when Barcelona kind of started its unbeaten streak
1: yeah it was um it was Joav, what do you what do you think of the whole the whole situation in as
0: terms I, of and, and all that as i was listening to it I was like thinking okay what can i say something different <laughs> <laughs> because you guys have basically just covered all the bases but okay but i did think of something so let me put this situation imagine um well this whole situation of this whole season with all these games and all the, the pandemic and all that imagine uh a manager like uh, Ernesto Valverde on, in the shoes of Ronald Koeman. So how well well would he would have done? So I think that really puts into perspective just how well Koeman has done. He, he basically received the same team that uh, Ernesto Valverde had because, as you said, Kiki Setién didn't do anything basically for the team. He, he didn't have a say in a lot of things. But Arnold Clement did bring a lot of stability to to this team especially in a time where he didn't even know if he would have a job at the end of the season especially with all these uh, presidential candidates saying that a lot a lot of saying that Xavi was the manager and all that. I agree with uh, with Omar saying that Xavi maybe doesn't still have enough experience to to go on to uh, Barcelona especially as we know that Pep was on the B team for a few years before he was actually promoted to the Barca first team as well as uh, as well as a, Luis Enrique, he was also the manager of Barça B for a few years, before even having the possibility of being the manager of the first team. So, yeah, um, I really like what Koeman has done. As we've said already, he brings, he has brought a lot of unity inside the team, something that we didn't see before. And also, um, I like that he sees uh, the possibility just beyond the 4-3-3. He has tried something different. He has flared up a lot of players that possibly would have been like, oh, he's not, well, he's too old to be playing for Barcelona anymore. And he has had to the mix of uh, the youngsters, like as you said, he likes Moriba, Pedri, even Oscar Mingueza. I love him. He has really uh, grew up grow up to the potential in this season. So I do really like uh, the mix that he has right now with all the veteran players and all the young players. But now I'm, uh, I'm really anxious to see what he has to do with, uh, with a transfer window mm-hmm. and see what, what he now actually can do with one year under the belt with Barcelona. And now knowing what uh, the economical status really is of the club, and this is where I ask you, Phil, who would you sell, bring, or loan for Barcelona?
2: That's a tough one. Uh, One finished thought looking at the comments in regards to Setien, and they're right, and I was going to say it, but it slipped my mind. Um, It sounds really funny because he's always been a player's coach. Just go out and have Mm -hmm. fun. Uh, We'll find a way. one of the reasons
1: I love Setien a lot as well
2: the players turned against him for whatever reason it was. They they just didn't have faith in him or the system. Um, and I think with Ronald Coleman, for lack of a better word, he doesn't give a crap. I mean, the, Lionel Messi, he says the right things in public, I think, in regards mm-hmm. to, well, you know, we'd love to have him. He's so valuable, but he's got to do what he's got to do. We'll see what happens. Um, behind closed doors, I do think that there's probably a respect that he shows to Messi. But I don't think that Ronald Coleman's personality is the type that would not call a spade a spade. And if he thinks Messi has to do something, he'll say it. Um, And I think in some ways from a Messi perspective, I think he probably respects that. Uh, I think he saw what happened where there was a lack of leadership under Setien. Um, And when you do get to that position, you kind of get sick of yes men. Because you don't know what they're saying when when your back is turned. With Coleman, he says it to your face. And no argument. And I think that's one reason that the air is cleared. And this is a team that's getting better in the right direction. In regards to what they need, um, other than maybe a couple of years ago, I think it's probably the exact same thing they've needed for about the last 12 or 15 seasons. Which is that plan B. Probably since... Thierry Henry left, uh, uh, and even he under Pep Guardiola. Uh, so maybe it was probably more David Villa in that role, but the, neither of them were truly a number nine, but they they gave you that striking power coming from the flanks. Um, obviously under Luis Enrique, that changed a little bit. Tata changed a little bit. Um, Valverde, it really changed. It wasn't exactly a, a, an athletic Bilbao style, but it was a little bit more of a strict formation and strict responsibilities um, where it became even more evident that they needed a number nine. Luis Suarez comes in, fills that role quite well, arguably could be filling it quite well now. Um, doing quite well at, 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 <laughs> in, in, yeah. in his absence. But I think Brathwaite serves a role. He's a very intelligent player. Uh, maybe with a little bit more time and a little bit better feeds, he'd have a few more goals here there, but he's not a 20 goal scorer. No. Uh, He'd be a good plan B to the plan B. So I think it's quite obvious if you brought in a Mbappe and Erling Holland, Holland more, but it's because he's more a traditional striker. Although I think we saw this past weekend that that Mbappe can play that role as well, almost a more Henri-like. And with a system Mm -hmm. like this, maybe he'd get even more chances than he he is at PSG. Uh, But there's a few other players that are playing in some of the lower leagues. And one of the names eludes me. I'm trying to remember. A young Serbian kid playing in Italy, but uh, I can't remember where. But it, again, prototypical number nine, to the point where you maybe you take a risk. But for Barcelona, I think they can't afford to take that much of a risk. You need to you need to make the money count. You're going to have he- to be creative to find the money to begin with. Assuming again, of course, that Lionel Messi sticks around, which I think right now is probably at least seventy five percent unless yeah, PSG so. really comes in. I, I think PSG might have nipped ahead of Manchester City a bit. Uh, he'd love to get back with Pep. That's great. And it would be kind of cool playing with a player like De Bruyne, et cetera. But I think if he goes to PSG, Neymar probably sticks, and Mbappe probably sticks. And just like Neymar went, you have the chance to be part of something special. However, I think that what we've seen from uh, from this season, the smile that's put on his face, The fact that it's now a new project, it's not just, as he even said, something I've been saying for years, throwing more Band-Aids at at a gaping wound and trying to heal it. Um, Instead, what they've done is they've kind of cut some of the dead wood off a little bit, and they're trying to to start again. And I think he likes being part of that project. So I think he sticks around. That's the first domino. And not just for Mm. Barcelona, in my mind, probably for the transfer window. Because if he goes to a PSG, if he goes to a Manchester City, if he sticks at a Barcelona, that affects what happens with all of the other big pieces, which then affects uh, those other pieces that are flying in. Um, I think next year got to find a way to get Ricky Pooch in a little bit more, a couple more of the, uh, the younger players like maybe Conrad bleed him in a little bit. Uh, I think he becomes that much more valuable. I maybe they make a decision on junior Firpo, who I think has done well in the limited times that they've put him in, but I think he's still a bit of a, a, of a vulnerability. Uh, not saying you can go out and get a Gaia, uh, bring back a Cucurella, or something like that, to, to slot in for depth on the Alba side. Although in some ways you could say that's why they brought Serginio Dest in initially, was actually on the Alba side. They didn't expect Roberto yeah, to get hurt. Um, so now with Dest, you, you have a little bit of cover. Uh, I think they've, because of the injuries and necessity, they've found Araujo and Minguesa can both play. Um, TT, if he, if they decide that he can still contribute, is absolutely worthy of being a top-four player. Longley is probably a lock at this point. PK maybe in the system has another year or two. Um, hmm. So I don't think there's problems there. Limited problems on the flank uh, with De Jong and Elish uh, and a, re, a reborn Busquets. I think you're pretty good there. Maybe you see Pjanic get a few spot positions there if you hold on to him. Uh with Pedri again, Eli maybe stepping up, uh, Messi dropping back a bit. Um, I don't think there's that many problems at that number eight or the mm-hmm. advanced central midfielder. Mm-hmm. Uh Griezmann and Dembele continue to take steps forward. Maybe you want a, a little bit of cover here or there. Uh but again, it just comes down to that number nine. And the problem for Barcelona is oh, there's probably only about three or four thousand teams that are also looking for a number nine. Uh <laughs> Barcelona has the cachet. I'm sure that Laporta will find a way to to finagle things a bit that maybe except for those top-tier players, uh, you could get them in without a problem. Uh, so it'll be really interesting to see what happens. Now, if they go and bring back Neymar, who knows? I don't see that as a perfect fit. I do think he's a much more mature player. We're seeing that kind of like what Eber did when he went to, to PSG uh, where that mantle of leadership steps in. Uh, and he is a difference maker. I mean, as much as I love Holland, as much as I love Mbappe, there's still, there's still not 100% the, the type to, to lead a line and make the impossible happen where Neymar just by his personality will try that doesn't always work out, but he does the unexpected. Um, and, but I still think that he's happy at PSG, uh, if, I think they'll probably get past Man City. Bayern, I think was the hard one. Uh, so if they can at least make it to two Champions League Finals again, even if they don't to make it to this stage two years in a row, shows that they're still uh, that they're one of the best teams on the planet. Uh, so I think you're probably looking to, I mean, maybe even like a Jared Moreno, someone like that, someone that uh, you maybe get a little bit cheaper that, that has that elusiveness, uh, a little bit of flexibility. He's not just uh, a bump on a log or a rock up front uh, that you can slot him into a couple of different places, but is also comfortable playing uh, in that center spot. If it's Aguero, I mean, it, it's not always height. We, we saw it with Angel Correa over the last mm-hmm. couple of weeks. Low center of gravity. If you're not afraid to, to get in there, that you can cause a lot of problems, and Aguero's been doing that for a decade. How much more does he have left in the tank? Uh, who knows? Probably a couple of years, though, in this type of system. And just like David Villa, maybe you can you can get something out of him. Um, and maybe, again, it would be a way to to make Messi happy, to give him something to look forward mm-hmm. to. Uh, so, again, I think that's the one gaping hole that they need to fit. Even, even Ter Stegen, who I think probably has a couple more years before you, you have to worry about looking for the next. Um, Neto behind him is a good, solid backup. Uh, and I know they have a couple of decent goalkeepers coming up through the system. So, again, it's just that number nine, just like it's been for Barcelona, just like it ever was.
1: (laughs) Yeah, not really much has changed in that regard. I mean, of course, Suarez filled filled that gap, but as the years went on, you could feel that maybe he started to stagnate a bit and it was time for a change. And I think the, well, people tend to say Barca made a mistake by selling him. I think the main mistake was to sell him to a, a team that's going to rival you for the title, a direct rival. Well, this again gets um, back
2: to the front office where it's like, oh, wait, we didn't put it. it Let go on that list. Um, <laughs> and they actually, I mean, you say sell. They actually had to pay Luis Suarez to leave town to the team that might end up beat, winning the title yeah. ahead of them. So yeah, that true. just goes yeah. to show what was going on in the front office uh, at the time. That's not going to happen with Laporta, although – Still interesting because I know he lost. He did lose his money man. He lost the the person that was supposed to be in charge of finances. I'm not sure who's stepping into in that regard, uh, but that's going to be a very maybe even more than a player uh, to try and figure out what to do with the debt, what to do with the 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 implosion of the Super League and its potential revenue. Um, mm-hmm. You're gonna have to find other revenue streams, which maybe include selling off uh, some of the the pieces on this Barcelona team here or there, or uh, with the inevitable considering he can walk if someone comes in and makes a, here's the world offer to Lionel Messi uh, trying to get ready for that, that next generation.
1: Mm, yeah. I mean, maybe, because then at that point, well, depending on the sum that the Barca did, I, mean, I imagine even if it's not a sale, if it's a free transfer, they would still maybe get a bit of commission out of it um, that could help uh, towards building and even, you know, sealing off the debts. So I mean, I think this transfer window will be very interesting. And I think, you know, with Laporta, I think it is a big challenge that he, I imagine he looks forward to. Because this is, you know, basically Barcelona saying, okay, we're having a bit of issues. You can come fix it because you were really, 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 really good for us a while back. And, you know, we trust you. And the fans and the associates have obviously shown that. Um, and I think for Laporta, this is something that I imagine he'd be very, very excited about. And I think that will... Sort of transmit to the players in this, as as we also saw when um, when they when Barca beat Athletic Club, they on their shirt they said this is the first of a new era. So there is this whole feeling of okay, we're starting something new. This is a fresh slate. We're starting off. We've got these players and we've got this team to go with. And that's why I don't think we'll see it on the Kuman walk this at the end of the season because he's in the middle of doing something really really great. And I don't think that Barca the Kuman Barca. I don't think that's peaked yet. Um, I think we'll see that really peak once Kuman gets a say in the transfer window, which I imagine he will get here in the offseason. No, one quick thing
2: um, on that also, and I know a lot of people are saying, yeah, but in fact I saw that so they're losing a lot of big games. Um, yeah. Look at Real Madrid, look at Atletico Madrid of late. Uh, that perhaps because of COVID, definitely an impact from uh, the revenue sharing that's starting to to step in. Uh, when I say because of COVID, because the big teams were a little hesitant to go out and spend money, which meant that there wasn't really a market to buy players. The dominoes didn't fall. Because of the increased revenue from television, those smaller clubs were not forced to sell. Uh, Mm. And I think we're seeing it in France, especially. We're seeing it in Spain significantly. We're seeing it in Italy, um, where teams 5 to 20 are a lot better than they have been in recent years over the last couple uh and again A bar up until about a couple months ago was playing quite well. Granada yeah. was down in the relegation zone, now they're challenging for Europe. Celta Vigo when they made the change to Chacho uh were down, I think they were rock bottom or just above they, and they now, were they were
1: yeah, they were now down. Now they're yeah.
2: safe on the verge of Europe. So It just goes to show that you could even take that up to Sevilla if you wish, because I think people were looking at Sevilla as a potential top-four team, but I don't think people were looking at that separation that they might be closer to the top three than they would be to five or six. I think that Sevilla has kind of stepped up. And and even though Villarreal has gone off the boil a bit with all of these draws of late, um, and Real Betis again, uh, I mean, this was a team that was facing relegation uh, a year ago just because they were trying to fight on two fronts. Um, but they go out and they, they pick a brilliant manager uh, personnel-wise in addition to style, and we're watching Real Betis play some brilliant football, and now they're in sixth place. So, uh, again, I think the fact that Barca has lost the odd game here or there, although, again, credit, the only game they've lost at home is against Real Madrid. Um, you look at Real being held by Betis. You look at Athletic beating Atletico. Um, La Real leading the league for a significant part of the season uh, that it's a lot harder than it has been for the last decade. Part of that is the fact that Real and Barca aren't as good as they were. Part of that, I think, is the fact that Atleti has come in as a, at least as a worthy challenger. Uh, But I I think that top to bottom, uh, those leagues are a lot harder to win now.
1: Yeah, they are. They are. And I mean, Again, you can see it if you look at the table, you can see that there, it's it's airtight pretty much everywhere. I mean, few points separate the teams that are fighting for relegation to being a mid-table side. And from well, mid-table I mean, obviously, it's
2: three top points top. between one and four here. Uh, yesterday, if it wasn't for Barack Ilmaz in France and his heroics with two goals and an assist... It would have been two points between the top four in France. Although I I think that's one, once PSG gets its nose in front, I think that maybe they pull away. But Lille's still in front, and uh, Lyon and Monaco are still in the race. So, uh, and even again, look at Italy. Uh, Juventus Mm -hmm. is stumbling a little bit. I thought that they would right the ship and at least challenge. But uh, just look at what Inter Milan has done, and it's been amazing. You get a good manager with good players and some solidity in the front office to the point where you don't have the political intrigue and you're not worried about what's in the pink pages every day. Uh, And you just worry about going out and playing the game. And I think that's what Inter has been able to do. That's what Barca has been doing the last two or three months, especially Mm -hmm. since the election is over. Uh, There seems to be a foundation and some solidity and they're just building on it.
1: Yeah. it, It feels like the team has this, this, you know, this club has this confidence um, in itself and in the club, which I think does a lot. And we've seen it in Inter. Now we've seen, we're seeing it in Barcelona. And I think it definitely does do a lot for the team going into the new season and, and going into these six finals because where maybe a year ago we'd see Barca drop points against your Getafe or against your Villarreal, they've actually come back against Villarreal from a 1-0 deficit where in previous games we've seen teams like Villarreal. And when I say teams like, I mean teams that people wouldn't expect to challenge. Barcelona. You go a
2: couple of years back, etc. So yeah,
1: exactly. And you've seen those types of teams pile up one, two, three, four goals on Barca before. It seemed like they kind of woke up and got into the rhythm of the match. But yesterday they conceded that goal and instantly they got on the front foot. miguetha I think has been excellent for Barcelona, especially because of his maturity and especially because of his vision as a defender to pick out the right passes. Because I was really like I was watching that run yesterday on the replay a couple of times and. On Griezmann, Griezmann's run for the goal, for the first goal. And you can see the way he bends his run could allude to Messi running out wide. And Mingetha, had he not had the, the maturity and vision that he does have, maybe he would have opted for Messi rather than Griezmann's run, even though Griezmann did call for it. But
2: no, I, I think really brings back memories of Rafa Marquez making those passes to Ronaldinho uh, hmm. generations ago. And also, I agree with you. That was one thing. There was a good wide shot from the corner behind the goal for Villarreal that showed it. And it's one of the things that's really impressed me about killing Mbappe. Uh, yeah. And admittedly he was doing it when he was 17 for Monaco, but it's almost like running backwards towards the sideline to allow the defense to pull back. So you're on side and then you kind of curl your run in around a defender. Who's not quite ready for you. Cause you've gotten some separation. There was an intelligence to Griezmann's run, but you're right. If the pass wasn't made, it doesn't matter. But within a minute, after getting shocked by one of the goals of the year, they had one of the goals of the year themselves. So uh, I agree. And then even more, because I was thinking back, was it two years ago, three years ago where the Villarreal, it was four, four against Barcelona where Griezmann didn't go, okay, I got a good goal. And then as you pointed out earlier, um, where even if he does make the smart move, he doesn't try and blast it. Uh, He had the patience and composure under pressure against one of the best goalkeepers in La Liga this year uh, to get the go-ahead goal. So uh, it, it, again, has to do with the mentality of this team that is really starting to grow. And it hasn't been a total dismantle and rebuild either. No. Um, they've He's found a way to switch horses midstream. Um, he's found a way uh, to rebuild the engine while it's still working. And I don't think people realize how difficult that can be. Uh, he got the players on board, even the ones like a Ricky Pooch who maybe are, are sacrificing a little bit. You don't hear the bickering, the finger pointing, et cetera. Uh, you don't hear the complaints as to why I'm not playing it uh, anymore. Of course, if they were losing four or five games in a row, maybe you would, but they're not. And I think uh, a lot of that credit has to go to Coleman. And I agree with, I think, I think that Laporta is going to give him a chance. It might not be the entirety of next season if things, uh, if things don't click, things I think he's yeah. going to get into next season, deep into next season, and unless it's an absolute disaster, he might even get the year to follow at that point. And who knows, by that point, it might be his ship to run.
1: Could be, could be. Um, we've got a couple of questions in the chat. Some of them we have went over. Uh, others we haven't. So, uh, X 97 says, hello, greeting to everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Um, and he asks why we're not talking about Sevilla. We have been talking about Sevilla. And by
2: the way, again, if Atleti-Barca yeah. tie and Sevilla beats Real Madrid, they're they're in the mix. Again, like yeah. I mentioned way back at the beginning, uh, now that they've clinched a Champions League spot, it's going to be – and I know what Lopetegui is going to want to do. He's going to now try and set another bar, and he probably already started to do that. when I mean, it became mm. obvious that they were going to finish in the top four. Um, but to find a way to keep them hungry, from a player's perspective, though, in some ways job one is done. Do they, do they turn off the switch just enough to the point where maybe they get bit next week, even before the Real Madrid game, it'll be interesting, but I think lopetegui's done an amazing job there. And with Yosef uh, uh finally finding a way to harness him. Uh, they lost, you also have to remember they, they lost Ocampo for half the season pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And now he's back and, and, and just contributing. This is in Joanne's Rodin. I mean, they're a fun team to watch. I don't they think they're their peak either. If he can hold that team together, maybe add a key player here or there. Same thing with Bethes. I don't I don't think if Pellegrini can hold on to some of those players. Remember the, the battle they gave Real Madrid. If Fakir was there, it might have been yeah, even worse for Real.
1: That's uh, what I was thinking I, when I was watching it as well.
2: Yeah, so I, I, again, you take a look at Villarreal, Unai Emery. Uh, if, if they can find a way to add a piece here or there. Parejo fit in quite well. Coquelin at times. Uh, you look at Chukwesi who's starting to emerge – Jared Moreno, if they can hold on to him, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think Powell, uh, this is a key because he was a little bit of a dark horse at the start of the season, got off to a brilliant start and then maybe tried to do a little too much, maybe reading his press clippings, but kind of got victimized in the middle, but he's, he's straightened out, solidified, um, and credit to Emery and and the staff for, for keeping him on form. But, uh, he was huge in in that game. And, uh, it's just going to be fun to watch over the next few years because it's always been Real and Barca and maybe a third challenger for a while. But uh, again, La Real. I mean, we didn't even really see all of David Silva this year. He probably still has another year or two left. Uh, mm. And I think that, uh, that Isakson is going to uh, step up even more so, uh, Alexander Isak. So they have a lot of challengers for that third and fourth. And we might even see some of those teams like a Sevilla, like a Lottie earlier this season that uh, could challenge the, the big two or the big three.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think we will have like, as you said, I think the, the league right now is at least the way I see it. I think it's in one of the best times it's been for the past couple of years, because it really does feel like it's a strong like looking at even even if you're watching a game like Eibar and Huesca you can still enjoy it because yeah. a lot still goes on and you can tell that even some of the teams in the relegation zone like to play football in a certain style they're not just running around or just defending and absorbing pressure they're actually playing the game um so i think i think we will see a point now where la liga especially here after the pandemic and, and during the pandemic i think we've seen a lot of it where you don't really have that much going on in the transfer window, obviously. And as you said, that Phil, that does help these teams that usually would find themselves forced to sell their players because they're not a big team, uh, objectively speaking. And so you'd have they, they can keep those players and build around that. And the result is a very, very tight La Liga race all across the board. Um, looking at some of the questions, of course, we have Marguerite um, Sterkai when we're talking about Setienn. And Valverde he said Valverde was incredible domestically, and I think he was. I think I think that fact does go overlooked at times. Um, and he then asks what we think of Memphis Depay. Of course, Memphis a favorite of front Koeman. Um and I think the the issue I have with Memphis would probably be that I see him as more of a Coutinho, Griezmann hybrid, more than an actual out and out nine, which I think is what Barca needs, but. Joao, what do you think? Do you think do you think that – let's Barca, let's say Barca can't get a Holland or Mbappe and Memphis would be one of the options. Do you think they should go for Memphis or do you think they should go for someone which may be a bit less proven but has that out-and-out out nine style going?
0: I'll be completely honest with you. I have a soft spot for Memphis Depay. I've liked him since he was in PSV. And in Manchester United, I was really to the point that he really couldn't click at all. But mm-hmm. as Phil was saying, I mean, we'll have to look back at David Villa. David Villa was some sort of a number nine that played on the wing and could really click with Messi. And Memphis could fill that role. Um, I do think that he's more sort of, as you said, a hybrid between Coutinho and Griezmann possibly, with more speed than both and possibly a little bit more goal than both. At the moment, he is having an incredible season in uh, in Lyon. But mm-hmm. um, I would really like to see him in Barcelona, especially since he does bring something uh, like different, some explosiveness. And as we said, well, as we've seen actually with Koeman, when he was still was the, the manager of uh, HALA International uh, team, he did play the number nine role and he did extremely well. They did uh, go to, on to the final of the uh, what's the the new tournament called? Uh, the Nations uh, League. Yeah, the Nations League. So they did go on to win to the, the final. And I do think uh, Depay could uh, do something special, especially since Koeman does really want him in the team. He does see him fitting into his own system, something that possibly uh, one year ago they would have said, oh, you have to buy, uh, uh, well, I don't know, Depay for 30 million. And Koeman doesn't really know if he'll be here next year. So it's, again, one of those situations where what what are you going to do with a player if the manager leaves? But now uh, one year under his belt, he does still see that he could fit into the system, especially that Depay is motivated to come to Barcelona. So I think that would be a positive for both sides.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Phil, what do you think of, uh, of Memphis? We'll take this question, then another one, and then we'll wrap it up for the day.
2: Um, not a huge fan early on in his career. and I think maybe in some ways because a little bit of prima donna, maybe a little cocky more than he deserved. <laughs> However, mm-hmm. watching over the last season or so at Lyon, I think he's matured. I think he's very dangerous. You put him in the right position, you get the right mindset, you have the right manager, and Komen would be one that would be able to handle that. Uh, I don't think he's a savior, though. I think he mm-hmm. would be one of those ones, if you have to let a Coutinho go, if you have to, uh, to sell Dembele or someone like that uh, for the finances, that Depay would be a very good player to step in and give you – A bit of creativity and a professional performance. I was just thinking about this. I wanted to double check, Uh, but again, in that match yesterday, Burak Yilmaz overshadowed Depay. Problem is, Yilmaz is 35. Uh, uh, You take a look at someone like maybe Alautro Martinez. No one's really mentioned that anymore. Uh, No, he's gone off the boil just a little bit, and he's kind of second string, if you will, or second fiddle, uh, right now to Romelu Lukaku, a Luis Muriel, someone like that who we've already seen before and anyone follows uh, our South American coverage. uh, In addition to what he's been able to do at Atlanta, he's playing in the form of his life and he's, he's fit still relatively young. uh, Was it 19 goals in 16 games? And he is the type of guy that can stretch a defense with decent touch.
1: He's also quite, Uh, quite fast as well.
2: Yeah. Well, and and again, even when he was carrying a little extra weight, he was still quick, uh, but now he is, he is fast. And, I think Depay would be useful, but he's still more of an east-west player. And I think the one thing that Suarez did, I, again, normally you think north-south. But Suarez had the ability to play east-west as well, but he did give you that ability to stretch, put a defender on his shoulder and turn him, and at least draw a foul and a free kick, uh, if not to to break in on goal. Uh, I think you need someone like that again. You do want a north-south player who is comfortable uh, that can hold, dish, come, on, mm. come in on a slalom, go on a diagonal, etc. Like Dembele does when, at this, I guess about a month ago, when they first put him at the point, uh, that he showed that he had the capability of, just not as consistently, I think, as Coleman wanted and as Barcelona need. So maybe they have the answer. Again, Griezmann, Griezmann's not a number nine, no. uh, but he is a number 10 in that dual striker role he he can be that second striker uh or if you do have the the two strikers up front that can play the inside channels he has that capability he's never really looked comfortable as a player out on the wing which is where he was forced when they were sticking with that traditional Barca 433 mm-hmm. like i said uh, and i'm sure you guys have already watched uh, the was get the ball past the ball uh one of the comments mm-hmm. that still sticks with me is uh with Thierry Henry where Pep basically told him uh, I don't say he yelled at him, but he pretty much told him that he wants him almost every single time to start with his heels on the chalk, just for the civil fact that when he gets the motor started, he's going to beat almost every single defender inside the box, but he wants to stretch that inside and open, I would say now in the equivalent, uh, the possibilities for a pay that he, for a, De, for a De Jong, for a Messi, uh without having five defenders to beat. Cause you have to respect Henri when he was at his prime. Um, and, I think if they can get Griezmann to play anywhere near that capability, um, it's going to be a huge plus. But again, what do they need? I think Depay would be useful. If they want to get back to the top of the heap, they need more than useful.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment. And I think um, for 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 Henri, um, as you were saying, starting off wa- out wide and drifting inwards allows that half space to to be occupied by a teammate and that kind of advances the play that way, which I think Barca have been trying to do recently. I mean, we've seen it from even Sergino Dest, who's really been bombing forward a lot. Jordi Alva really likes to like... Yeah, and I've seen a lot of comparisons to Dani Alves, and, I mean, time will tell if he can live up to that hype. I think Dani Alves is is a very, very, you know, you really have to be at, at the top of your game for a long, long, long time. And it's not um, just when I mean,
2: you take a look back, going back to his Sevilla days, he was very, very good, but... I don't think people realize. Maybe on the inside, maybe people that are that are watching the podcast. But um, in some ways, he was the final piece of that Barcelona puzzle. Uh, mm-hmm. They were a good team on the verge of being a great team. Now all of a sudden, you throw Dani Alves and his psychic connection with Lionel Messi out on that right flank, and that's what turned them into the best team on the planet. By the way, the guy yeah. I was thinking of again is Blažević, the, the the teenager at Fiorentina, seventeen goals mm-hmm. in his real in his first year. Someone like that. And again, I don't know what's there. And from a Barcelona perspective, I think they need someone that's a little bit more proven rather than a roll of the dice. But he might be one to keep
0: an eye on. Also, also Darwin Nunez, right, from Benfica. Yeah,
1: Yeah. good point. Yeah, there are quite a lot of talents out there. And I think think the Portuguese league and the Italian and the French league get overlooked quite often because people like to label them as... uh, quote-unquote farmers league (laughs) Um, but the fact of the matter is they produce a lot of the big big talents that we've gone on to see that we still see a lot of the talents that a lot of people that now like love and and love to watch have come from from those leagues and from the french league especially so i think for talents that's definitely one of the places you would go I, i mean in the future if barcelona would go for a role if they want to jump the gun on a young striker or a young midfielder getting one from the french league wouldn't be surprising um Hamada X ninety seven adds to the uh, question that we were talking about earlier with Memphis and asks about Edinson Cavani. I think the issue with him is just that he's too old. The way he's I see too it,
2: old. I think maybe, like I said, thirty five year old Yilmaz to to build a team around. But also, he's doing well enough at Manchester United, yes. where I don't think anyone gave him a chance, and now they're talking about giving me a contract extension. I think yeah. he's at United for another year or two, and then maybe comes to MLS and joins Miami, or who knows. I would imagine um, that, or he even heads back to Uruguay. So I think he's yeah. got at least one more year at United, and I think he's going to do quite well there. I mean, he, he might be what thirty four now.
0: 34, I think 34, He, 35, it, yeah, he I think.
2: keeps himself in such great shape; he plays mm-hmm. like a twenty seven year old, and he, he hardly ever gets hurt. So I think yeah, that is a plus. Durable. But uh, again, I agree with you. I do think you want some. I also see Rodrigo had asked about Dembele. Um, frustrating. I'd say if it wasn't for what we saw a month ago, I'd say it's almost time to, to cut bait. But mm-hmm. when they threw him into the center channel, if they can't find anyone better, um, again, going back to uh, the match they had against Cadiz where Coleman's substitution pattern was criticized, uh, the fact that Dembele and, and probably Conrad again to another, uh, along with Sergio Dest, are really the only players that can stretch a defense. And if they can find a way, maybe in the offseason, say, hey, Usman, here's what you have to work on. And I don't mean on FIFA. Um, (laughs) If they can get him away from the video games and get him on the practice field to the point where he becomes just a little bit razor sharp, uh, you slot him into that center period, and there's not going to be a lot of defenders that can keep up with him. I I, I love the line that he had where uh, someone asked him, is he a one footed player? And he said, yeah, <laughs> he just doesn't know which foot. Uh, because I mean, his left and his right foot are absolutely brilliant and almost mirror image. It's not like you notice that he has to do a little bit of tweaking to, to get the same power in his left foot. It looks like this kid came out of the crib, uh, able to use both. And again, he is such a dangerous player that if they can make him more lethal and more consistent, I agree. He is a, he's a player for the future. I don't think he's going to be the type of player that can carry a team, I don't know if he has that personality. I think he's maybe just a little too much of a loner. Uh, mm. He doesn't seem to, at this point, have that leadership capability like a De Jong, etc. But uh, he is a powerful weapon if they can harness him.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a fair point. I mean, as a player, I think he does have the skill set to be a number nine in a bar, in this Barcelona system. If he is, you know, if, if Barca really work on it and say, all right, listen, you have to do this and this and this and then kind of build the attack around the fact that he's the number nine, rather than maybe having Griezmann or Messi as your, as your, I mean, Messi hasn't really been playing as the nine, but we have seen Messi slot into that nine position. Sometimes even De young has been slotting into that false nine position at times. Um, Elish, as we saw against Villarreal really likes to get up there, but also is to be found in Barca's box when defending. So I think if, as you said, if if Barca don't find a suit a, nine, a number nine that they think is suitable for the system, and Dembélé winds up staying, I think playing him in a number nine position because you also remember you have to you have Ansu coming back.
2: True.
1: You've got Coutinho who can operate in the half space, not comfortable out wide as we've seen plenty of times under Ernesto Valverde, but as we saw with Bayern, as we've seen with, with Liverpool, he is comfortable in that left half space, drifting inside, linking up the play. Kind of
2: where Adria is though.
1: That's, that's also the other question, yep. because th- that's, that's, I think, the headache that Kuman is going to have. And I think from, from Barca's perspective, a Pedri would be worth keeping over a Coutinho, given Coutinho's recent value. And then at that point, how much would Coutinho go for? Because obviously the market has reached a point now where you can't really get a whole lot of money from him. So it's also a question of if you want to sell Coutinho, would you be content with getting a 20 million euros, for instance? Or would you rather hold out, try and make it work? and then maybe get that out of it more well, rather than... They couldn't the get
2: that before, which is why they had to basically hold on to him when he came back from Bayern. They've they've rebuilt his reputation a bit in the fact that he's finally played well with Barca. However, now you also have the injuries where he's missed half a season. So yes. uh, it is kind of a balancing act. But again, in my mind, Pedro, uh I don't think you want to hold on to Coutinho at his salary uh, to fill in every fifth game. Um, So I I think that's Pedri. I think, again, you raised the interesting point with Ansu Fati. If you do turn Dembele into the nine and maybe even convert things a little bit in this new formation where Griezmann recreates his second striker that he was behind Vela at at Real Sociedad, now all of a sudden you throw Fati into the picture and and you have Messi. Um, It's going to be kind of interesting to try and figure out where to put all those chess pieces. Uh, Now, Fati... The one advantage is the fact I even if he comes back 100% healthy the start of next season, they'll probably bleed him back in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that gives you a little bit of leeway. I don't think you get rid of him at this point. It's an obvious choice you're going to hold on to him. No, no, no. Uh, so that then becomes <laughs> – uh, and, and, again, all of this is a moot point if Lionel Messi packs up his bags. So it, it's a good problem to have, like you said – but it potentially could be a difficult problem if very talented players aren't getting the playing time. Now, again, Coleman is the type of manager that can run a good ship um, and maybe he'll stop it from being the point where it develops into a cancer. Uh, And he has shown a willingness to be a little more creative when it comes to tactics and even to adjust tactics in the middle of a game. And it's, it's worked rather well for him. So uh, sometimes to a, a curious point i remember again uh, where a week ago where it was such a a tight game he ended up changing three of his four defenders uh and and almost made a meal of it but uh i i think that it's in some ways it's so much easier to get players who fill a role because that just puts the puzzle together by itself yeah the players that barcelona has right now uh, Coman's had to be and might have to be even more so next year, a lot more creative.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think I think that's an excellent point. Um, because there is, there is a, as you said, there are so many talented players. And if Barca if wind up keeping Pedri and and if Messi stays, you've got Griezmann as well, who you'd like, if, if he stays, obviously want him to fit in. And he's slowly finding his role. So how do you make sure you don't jeopardize that by putting in someone else? Um, so again, a lot of work. Uh, for Ronald Koeman next season, I think. Um, and I mean, I, I do see him staying simply because of the fact that he's done so well. And he has, you can really tell that the team feels like a unit and like you're getting this family feeling back, which I think really, really matters, especially now given what Barca have been through in, in recent years. You want that sort of sense of unity so you can drive forward and win these next six fi- finals as they've been up of La Liga. Because right now, it is in Barca's hands, more or less, and knowing how to bounce back from deficits against a Villarreal with a goal as devastating as Samuel Shequez is, or to be able to, to you know, break down the pressure of a Granada or a Getafe and beat through that low block. I think that's something that Barca maybe would not have done as well around a year ago, but now it seems like they're finding. The team, you can tell the players are fighting for each other and fighting for the manager, and there is the sense of we can do this because we're Barcelona, because we have this skill set, we have these players, and we have the trust of our manager, so we can do whatever, like, everything is possible, you know? And I think it's really important to have that mentality into a team. Um, Hamada X asks about Kuman's three defender system doing the work. We were uh, talking about it quite a lot earlier. I think the consensus was that it's working quite well, Um, of course, with Gerard Pique now, you're able to squeeze a bit, you know, a year or two, maybe out of him, as you were saying, Phil. Um, and I mean, as far as conceding easy goals, I'm not sure I agree with that. I think for the most part, Barcelona's defense has been very, very solid. And I think the midfielders have done an excellent job at making sure when to contain and when to actually step in for the, for the tackler, for the interception, um, conceding easy goals. I'm not sure if I agree with that because I mean, you could argue Tony Kroos' free kick. You could argue that maybe it was a bit easy with a double deflection. Um, and then a goal, I think it was not against Villarreal, but the game before that, where it deflected off of long lay, I think it was, where the unheld shot for against Otafe. So if you consider those easy goals, then I mean, sure, but it's not like Barcelona have been played out of the park. I don't think that's been the case in any of the recent games. And I think the defense, slowly finding that formula to work, because you also have Araujo and you have long lane, you want to fit those in. You've got Umtiti who, when fit, as you said, Phil, can be one of the top four defenders. Uh, um,
2: there's a, there's a comparison. I mean, you look at Atletico Madrid. They lost uh, uh, Godin, maybe the best defender of his generation, um, and they had a Jimenez to slot in. Jimenez gets hurt, and you have Savage, Felipe, um, and uh, Hermoso to, to yeah. fit in. Uh you look at Real Madrid and Sergio Ramos getting a little long in the tooth, I think still valuable for what he does. Although full credit to Zidane in the way that he has kind of limited exposure at this point where Ramos is not a hundred percent. And so he's not risking him uh, that uh, you basically develop a there. You see Nacho going back to his natural position. He was coming up as a central central defender, but because of, the players that Real Madrid has always had. He's been forced to play out wide. And, and there is an argument this year that Nacho and Eder have been the better pairing than Varan and Ramos. Uh, mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden with, because of that exposure, they're able to play with a varan with a Ramos when they come back. Uh, but you also have a Casemiro who can slot in in front of them. And there's really intriguing this year when they kind of dropped Modric almost into that Frankie de Jong role. Uh, but I, I think that those are two teams I don't say the build from the back, but they try and solidify, make goals difficult. Uh, doesn't hurt to have a Courtois and an block behind. Nothing against mm-hmm. Ter Stegen, but he's a different style goalkeeper. He's a much more mm-hmm. of a risk-taker, um, which in some ways is a perfect fit for Barcelona. They're a risk-taking team uh, where even a, a Militao or uh, a Savic, the ball comes in, their first tendency is just going to be to blast it to the moon. Uh, <laughs> Barcelona does not do that. And sometimes it costs them. I remember the throw in although with COVID. It's now it's now a blur. Was it this year? Was it last year? I think it was earlier this year, uh, the throw in that kind of bounced up and long leg, got handcuffed and it ended up turning into a goal. That was an easy goal oh. because of defensive miscue. But that's because he was trying to play it rather than just get rid of it. Uh, I think that there are very solid defenders that they've uncovered Uh But, again, Busquets is not a destroyer. He's a lot better defender, I think, than people give him credit for. The timing of his tackles when you you get close is brilliant. Um, But I think that this is a team that tends to sacrifice defensive stability for offensive danger. And more often than not, over the last two decades, it's been a good gamble. Uh, occasionally you're going to give up a goal, but then again, this is a team that goes, okay, and then they score five. So, uh, it's just a totally different mindset. And uh, I think that it works for Barcelona. They might be exposed a little bit. You could say, some might point to say, look how easy it was for him to dribble through. No, look at the dribble that he made to get past two defenders and a goalkeeper that our world. Yeah,
1: that was a great run. It's and like, Ray I, more say, than...
2: I mean, like I'll point out, well, what are they going to say in the video room? Because, uh, Coaches are basically going to analyze. You should have done this. You should have done that. You could have stopped this. Sometimes you just got to sit back and say, that was an amazing play. And it <laughs> yeah. was an amazing play. Uh, you talked about the fluke goals that had come up before. So, uh, again, there have been some goals earlier this year that have been a little easy, where maybe Ter Stegen, uh, who fancies himself a field player, and for obvious reasons, uh, even going back early in his career, I kind of remember – uh, goal against the U.S. that he allowed, where he kind of let it run, thinking he was going to come around. It didn't realize how close he was. Yeah, the I moment. saw that. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember that. That's because he is that good a player. Sometimes you get victimized by overconfidence, but uh, put up or shut up. And most of the time, they've put up, uh, and they're entertaining to watch. And you've talked about it before. Going back to Sechens Las Palmas to the Betis sides to the al sides. Uh, there's just something about teams that are willing to take the risk to play the beautiful game, when sometimes it might blow up in their face, um, that makes this game so enjoyable.
1: It does. It does. And I think that's that's the thing as well that a lot of the, the smaller, shall we say, the less prominent teams of La Liga can take with them, even if they do wind up getting relegated or wind up getting 16th or 15th places, that at least we stuck to our style, which I think is something that we might not have seen as much re- in, you know, a year or two ago, because a lot, of pe- a lot of the smaller teams were just thought, okay, we'll just defend, 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 then go for the counter, yeah. which isn't our style, but we have to play this style because a Real Madrid or a Barca like to play you know, possession or, or like to play down the flanks. So we have to adjust. And Villarreal.
2: for hogging the mic, but the that's something also that jumped out this year that Ray and I were talking about uh, off mic, is mm-hmm. that even if the formation has changed, even if the system, if you will, has changed, um, I think that what we've seen under Coleman has brought back the essence of what Pep Guardiola created, even more so going back through the last four managers combined. I mean, Luis Enrique changed Barcelona a bit, mainly because he needed to Uh, Valverde had to. And again, because of the board uh, is what Messi complained about. They had basically had to put patches on. You go out you try a Turan, you you try uh, uh, players here or there that, kind of fit in, do play a good role, but it's not the Barcelona system. Um, and then with Setien, he tried, it. he never really had the transfer window. And for whatever reason, he lost the faith of the players uh, and the front office. And now all of a sudden you have Ronald Coleman. And I think because of that security, and even though they're putting different players in different positions, you're starting to see the mentality come back, where they're comfortable swinging the ball around 60 times before they find the right moment. Um, and again, with Griezmann keeps playing like he is, if if Dembele can play to his, to his potential, they'll have the ability to capitalize on some of that possession.
1: Yeah, no, I I fully agree with that. I think, I think that's an excellent point. Um, Joao, do you have any final,
0: final words before we end off here? Um, no, the fact that, um, well, after this conversation, I think I really have opened my eyes to a lot of things that possibly would have slipped. If I hadn't really thought about it, of how La Liga has really become a much closer uh, race at the end of the season, especially at this part of the season with so many teams still in the mix. So I think it's really valuable to see La Liga grow in such a way that it's not just one or two teams' league anymore. And also the fact that um, I'm really optimistic with Barcelona. um A really rocky start for queman at the beginning of the season, but now slowly beginning to click. And I'm, I'm really, I think it's something that. Probably didn't have I didn't feel for the last few years, but I'm optimistic about the next season and see what actually is in store for Barcelona. And I, I really enjoy not having all the uh, all the like political polemic and all that in um, the offseason anymore. So I'm really optimistic and I really, really I'm, I'm looking forward to what happens for Barcelona during the summer. And for next season so yeah i'm i'm really just hopeful that we end on a high note this season and go into uh well next season really really high as well
1: yeah uh phil do you have any uh, final words
0: no just again for as good as it
2: is for barcelona i think there's an argument that real madrid has turned the corner as well um same story for them they're trying to find a guy that can step in for kareem benzema uh they've been looking for that for a decade uh, Modric can't play forever, can he? Uh, <laughs> I think their backline has solidified. Uh, I think that, that that they're going to be stronger. They Again, maybe missing one or two, or they have to be a little bit more active in the transfer window, perhaps than, than Barcelona. Oh, they're getting under Zinedine Zidane. They haven't been. They've they've mm. been very focused in on the opportune buy or bringing up their own. Uh, I think Atleti, even if they do stumble here, uh, I think that they've taken a step forward. Uh, even if they do lose Jimenez to a big money deal to the Premier League, I think that they've shown that they have some depth. Uh, I, I think that they're going to be a top three team again next year. Sevilla, uh, if they can hold on to end the city and get that next step out of him, uh, I think that they're going to be good. And again, I think there's a, a challenge before. Uh, I agree with you. I think what we've seen is a much stronger La Liga. And it kind of goes back, I guess, early days before uh, when I was growing up and people would talk about American sports like uh, and kind of, when you think about it, almost Super League-like from George Steinbrenner with the Yankees, uh, where they were trying to to twist arms to get more and more money. But the Yankees needed a good Milwaukee Brewers team or a Minnesota Twins team uh, just as much as people needed a good Yankees team. However, there is something about having the Yankees or the Red Sox or the Dodgers, et cetera, it's, you You do need that, that team to shoot for, to set the mm. ball. Um, and sometimes the team to wear the black hat and, and kind of be the villain. Uh, and, and I think just as La Liga needs a strong Barcelona and a strong Real Madrid, if it's just those two teams, in all honesty, the other 36 games of the year aren't worth watching as much. Uh, but now all of a sudden you have the possibility of anything happening on any given any given weekend, um, and it becomes that much more entertaining. And that's one reason uh, I think that there could be an argument that La Liga's even more enjoyable to watch now might not have the Ronaldo versus Messi at their, at their peak, at their highlight, might not have Pep rediscovering the wheel, et cetera, like that. But in the pure drama of it, that La Liga might actually be more enjoyable now than it has been in decades.
1: Yeah, no, I think that's, a, I think that's a really good point. And I think, I think people tend to overlook La Liga because they think, oh, well, Ronaldo is gone and Messi might leave. So what's the point? But <laughs> I, I think fact of the matter is that a lot of teams in La Liga, and this is something I've always said is that the teams in La Liga compared to say your premier league, which is what the people widely view as the best league in the world. La Liga is far more technical. And even the defenders are far more technical. And we see that with the way Barca play, with the way Villarreal play, um, the way Real Madrid or Atleti play, even the smaller teams. uh, You see these defenders have this skill set that they use to their advantage in a way that you would not see in other leagues because other leagues are just all about, for instance, getting the ball, just bombing it down the flank, just to hail Mary and hope that someone gets gets to the end of it. Um, And I think... La Liga really, for me at least, is the place where the beautiful game is played properly. Obviously, you do have teams in the Premier League and teams in Italy and teams in France that do that as well. But if we're talking about the league as a whole, I think La Liga is that place. Um, And I don't think a lot of people give too much credit to La Liga for that. But I think we'll see that keep, keep happening as the years go on. If... Because right now, the, the, the current status of La Liga looks very, very promising. We see a lot of these smaller teams making a difference. We see a lot of the bigger teams growing into this new sort of style. And it, it really does feel like at times that La Liga has evolved a lot in, in a small span of time. Um, and it feels like anything could happen. As you said, next season, virtually every weekend, anything can happen in any given game if the, if it continues like this, which hopefully for the La Liga watchers, it does. Um, Phil, tell, let the people know where they can find you. Uh,
2: well, as you can kind of see down below the Twitter handle, uh, that's also just at a .com at the end, and that's my website. Uh, still working at BM Sports, as I have been for a decade and uh, hopefully for some time to come. Uh, but doing occasional work on SiriusXM, not as much this year because I started my own uh, business doing voiceovers and narration. Um, and that's that little logo off to the right for voice goals, or also you can find out more about philshane.com. And it's been fun. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with Nassim Taleb. Follow him on Twitter, It'll, your mind will be blown. Um, but there's something he said a few years back that really caught me where he said, As long as you have a job, you're a slave to someone else. And especially in this business where someone comes in, they want to bring their own person, you kind of could be the flavor of the month. Um, I've had a good run. It's not going to last forever. So to have a little bit more control uh, to create my own company, and I've had some fun doing that, and it's it's paying off, uh, doing voiceovers and narration and, and other things, and uh, had the chance to do a few more USL games here or there and uh, see what happens in the future. But uh, it's it's been fun working alongside Ray for the last two decades, and uh, and we talk about it off air a lot, that even if it was to end tomorrow, that we were blessed to arguably be witness in the front row of the best football that's ever been played in the history of the game. And uh, as we're pointing out though, it's, it's, it never ends. I mean, people Mm. thought that Eusebio was the best, Cruyff was the best, best was the best. You have Pelé and Maradona, and then all of a sudden a Ronaldo and a Messi pop up and, and, People might be discounting it now, but who knows? Three or four years, maybe Mbappe and Holland will both be up at that, at that on that pedestal. So there's something amazing about this game and how it's able to reinvent itself generation to generation. Uh, maybe it's just a short memory, but I, I think it has to do with just the fact that uh, th- this marvelous game we call soccer or football is the best sport ever invented, and it keeps reinventing itself.
1: No, I, I fully agree. I think that's, I think, I mean, I think that's a nice point to 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 end it on, really.
0: Um, Beautiful sentiment.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Phil, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Uh, thank you very much for taking your time out to to join us here on the Driven Shot podcast. This podcast, of course, is part of our uh, podcast network, the Blogonagram Podcast Network, where we're also launching a new podcast in Spanish covering Barca B and Barca Femini called Blogonagram and El Johan. So do check that out. It will be out very, very soon. Uh, You'll be able to find it on all your favorite streaming platforms as well as our website, blogonogram.com. So, on that note, uh, thank you all for tuning in. We hope you're staying sane, safe, and well. Phil, once again, thank you very much uh, for taking your time out to be with us here today. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have. (laughs) Really (laughs) a pleasure, Phil.
2: My pleasure, and thanks for the invitation.
1: Of course. uh, If you enjoyed this episode, our dear audience, make sure to drop us a follow, like, or subscribe. And on that note, we will see you next Monday. Phil, as you might know, usually we have the pre recorded outro of you. I don't know if you'd like to do that now or if we just roll the, the pre recorded one. Go
2: for it. I want to give myself a grade.
1: All right. <laughs> All right. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. We will see you next Monday. And uh, I guess on that note, roll the outro by Phil Shane.
2: My name is Phil Shane. And you've been listening to The Driven Shot, hosted by Omar Hawash and the Blaugranogram News Outlet. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you have a wonderful day, and hopefully we'll see you again soon.